0: We got the alternative energy, right. And, we free autonomy. We got? and welcome
1: we got? to the Radioactive Show, produced at the studios of 3CR Melbourne and heard nationally on the Community Radio
2: Network. Hello, this is the Radioactive Show, brought to you this week by AC and Crunch. On today's show, we hear my interview with Kumar Sundaram of the Coalition of Nuclear Disarmament and Peace, based in Delhi, India. He gives an update on the continued unsafe development of the Kurang Kulam nuclear facility in the state of Tamil Nadu in the south of India. And he also talks about the increased repression of activists in India under the Mah- Nahendra Modi government.
1: Related to this is recent news on the Australia-India uranium sales deal. A rush law has just been passed in the final hours of the last session of the Australian Parliament that subverts safeguards and stops Australian companies from being liable under national and international law. I spoke to Dave Sweeney of the Australian Conservation Foundation about what this law means. So we're joined now with Dave Sweeney, who is the nuclear-free campaigner with the Australia Conservation Foundation. Welcome, Dave.
0: Yeah, good morning. Hello, welcome.
1: Um, Yeah, so can you please tell us what happened on the last day of the last sitting of this year's um, Parliament?
0: Yeah, quite extraordinary. You know, like Parliament becomes this compressed, really distilled, really crazily busy, stay up all night in your pyjamas sort of event as it moves towards um, the end of any given year. But this year um, was extraordinary. The stuff that was pushed through uh, late in the piece, and on the last night of the last day of the sitting of federal parliament, there was a piece of legislation, the Civil Nuclear Transfers Act, mm-hmm. uh, which was a piece of legislation that had been drafted specifically to address the fact that... Um, the planned sale of uranium from Australia to India is in direct conflict with Australian domestic law and Australian international treaty obligations. So in order not to address it, but to cover up and provide protection from that, this piece of legislation was drafted, which provides an exemption from uh, any sort of uh, legal recourse in Australia to companies who are providing uranium to India, it provides an exemption that they don't have to comply with a whole range of um, domestic and international obligations and responsibilities. And so the, the purpose of this legislation, AC, was to, um, was to provide confidence to Australian companies so mm-hmm. that they could go ahead and sell, irrespective of the complexity and the contest and the fact that they're not compliant with uh, a whole range of obligations. So it, it just was, uh, it sailed through Labor Party, the Australian Labor Party, to their shame, uh, signed off on the deal. Mm-hmm. Um, the Conservatives were the architects of the deal um, and the one sort of sole voice was uh, the Australian Greens who, who made a, a very, you know, impassioned, this is not right, this is not responsible speech uh, before the peace. Uh, sailed through and became law.
1: Okay. And what kind of laws does it touch on?
0: Well, basically what it does is is it it exists to provide certainty to Australian uranium producers. Mm -hmm. And what it says is that no one in Australia, now or in the future, can take legal action to impede or halt um, their operations and their sales of uranium to India um, on the basis that this is inconsistent with safeguard pro- provisions or international obligations. And basically, to take a step back, when this idea was floated, um, there was really deep concern. Now, you, you expect concern mm. with any uranium sales. You know, Friends of the Earth, ACS, the Greens, will say, not a good idea. Yeah. And what, for, for reasons one to five. Mm-hmm. Um, but what happened with the India deal is that a whole range of not usual suspects, a whole range of pro-nuclear, pro-sell uranium to India people said this deal is a bad deal. Yeah, right. It doesn't have sufficient protection. It doesn't have sufficient safeguards. It is inconsistent with our treaty obligations, our domestic law obligations under the Safeguards Act and our treaty obligations, particularly under a piece of legislation which Australia was very proud of in the mid-80s, the South Pacific Nuclear Weapons Free Zone Treaty, Mm. and that says that you cannot sell to a country that is not a a party to the Nuclear Non-Proliferation Treaty or doesn't have full-scope international safeguards and checks and balances. Now, India has neither of those. Mm. India is not a party to the NPT, Mm. and India picks and chooses which of its nuclear facilities international inspectors can come in and have a look at. So there was a clear dissonance there, a clear conflict between Mm. Australia's long-standing 30-year treaty obligations and Australia's new and push-the-fast-forward button uh, desire to sell uranium to India. Mm. And rather than try and address that on a substantive level, rather than try and say, okay, how can we bring these things so they're not in conflict, Mm. What the Australian government did, what Julie Bishop's fingerprints did, is say, how can we paper over this so the companies can do it and the greenies can't go to court and win? And basically that's what that last night of the last day of this federal parliament was all about. It was about cutting a corner, giving legal exemptions and legal privilege to companies to do something that one week ago was unlawful and inconsistent.
1: It sounds very dodgy.
0: It is deeply dodgy. And it's part of this, what we are seeing is a persistent pattern of removing scrutiny, removing Mm -hmm. accountability and removing responsibility. Now, we can argue we're fortunate enough to live in a democracy still, um, as, as constrained as that is. But we can argue whether or not nuclear power is a good way forward. We can argue whether or not Australia should sell sell uranium. But when you start doing this stuff, when you start ramming through late-notice, late-night legislation to paper over what are fundamental cracks, what are fundamental deficiencies, which pro-nuclear people with 30 and 40 years, of DFAT, Department of Foreign Affairs and Trade, 30 or 40 years of DFAT agency experience are putting their hand up and saying, please, Senator, don't do it. Mm. Like, that is a race to the bottom, and it is profoundly irresponsible. There was a a report, and I know that Radioactive has been tracking this one closely, AC. The Radioactive Mm. Show and people have been tracking it closely, but there was a report in 2012 from the Indian... Controller General, the Auditor General, and it said that the Indian nuclear, civil nuclear sector is poorly regulated, is deeply unsafe, has cut safety corners, and it said that without a profound change in culture and operations, there will be a Fukushima in India. Mm. And for Australia, the country that supplied the fuel that made Fukushima happen, for Australia, to know that, to see that, and then not to address it, but rather to cut corners, to put the interests of a small group of underperforming uranium companies ahead of the interests of responsible development, of responsible international role. Mm-hmm. Is a, it's a deeply disappointing thing. It's a deeply frustrating thing. And it's also a culpable thing. Mm-hmm. Like these people are playing little word games in Canberra But what those little word games will lead to, I hope they don't, but the likelihood is is that they will lead to words like evacuate, meltdown, contamination in the future. Mm -hmm. And that is just really, really profoundly irresponsible, deeply unacceptable. And it's such a shabby way to do business.
1: That was Dave Sweeney of ACF speaking about the dodgy dealings in the last session of the Australian Parliament that gives a green light to companies to pursue uranium sales to India free from fear of being held accountable. Now we'll hear Crunch's interview with Sundaram of the Coalition of Nuclear Disarmament and Peace or CNDP. Crunch and co-rad show producer Jem met Sundaram when they visited India in 2014, travelling to the contested Kurankuram nuclear reactor in the very south
2: of the country. So I'm joined by Kumar Sundaram, an old friend and activist from Delhi in India. And Sundaram, we, a couple of years ago, uh, another rad show producer, Jem and I, came over to India and we travelled to Kudankulam and what are the updates of the struggle against the Kudankulam nuclear
3: power plant? Hi, Emma. It's really good to hear from you. Uh, you came to India when the uh, whole struggle against the Kudankulam nuclear power plant was almost uh, at its peak soon after Fukushima. And the the power plant number one, which was at advanced stage of construction and the government was going to commission it. After Fukushima, as you know, tens of thousands of people came together, they protested. But despite all the protests and after huge repression against the local communities' protests, the government commissioned the reactor, number one, mm. uh, in 2013. Uh, and uh, But the story after that is that even after two, more than two and a half years, uh, the uh, nuclear power plant in Kudankulam is not functional. It's not producing any electricity. It's really shocking that in this small period of uh, close to three years, the power plant has tripped more than 32 times. Mm. Uh, and and uh, it's not even completed the minimum requirement of running smoothly at 100% capacity for hundred consecutive days. Mm. So that is the story, which uh, means that uh, the contentions that the movement raised, uh, one of which was that uh, there was a major supply of substandard equipments from Russia between 2007 and 2010, uh, in which period also a major scam was uh, revealed in Russia and several officials of the supplier company were punished. They were jailed, Uh, but the Indian government in its hurry to commission the reactors totally overlook that entire issue. So the recurrent problems in reactor number one has to do with that batch of substandard supplies. And it's Mm -hmm. not only a problem in functioning of the reactor, it's potentially a big uh, safety hazard. Mm -hmm. Uh, Also in 2014, uh, there was a major accident in Kudankulam 1. Uh, At least eight people were exposed to high temperature, which was probably because one of those walls were leaking. And uh, there's complete secrecy about it. So the government remains in complete denial. Mm. And that is how the nuclear industry functions in India. Uh, The update after that is that they commissioned number two as well. So number one, number two, these two nuclear power plants were were almost on the verge of commissioning when the protests started. Uh, So reactor number two was also commissioned a year ago. Uh, It is formally officially uh, declared uh, operational and uh, commercially commissioned. Okay. Uh, but the same story is about uh, reactor number two as well. It's not producing any electricity. Mm. Uh, when uh, the Russian president Putin came to India last time, the government sealed an agreement for reactor number three and four. And now uh, they are also signing an agreement for five and six. So the is this... plan is to...
2: Yes, sorry, is that, mm, Kudam, all on the same site.
3: Yeah, all on the same site. Okay. So the total plan is to build six nuclear power plants, mm. which is disastrous, which is completely insane. Mm. And also, questions like uh, environmental uh, clearance, the en- uh, environmental impact evaluation. Uh, there has to be a cumulative impact assessment, like you're building more nuclear power plants, but uh, you are doing environmental studies separately, which uh, doesn't happen in real life. Uh, And uh, I think, as you know, the complete uh, negation and and, uh, complete denial of environmental impacts of one and two, uh, because uh, in in a bizarre fashion, the government said that these nuclear power plants were planned before India's nuclear uh, environmental regulations came into existence. So, by using this very thin, stupid legal logic, uh, the complete uh, denial is in place uh, Mm. as far as uh, the environmental impacts are confirmed. Mm. Similarly about the other kind of impacts regarding the emergency evacuation exercises, regarding the uh, safety norms, regarding the government's own safety recommendations after Fukushima. After Fukushima, uh, India is one of the few government which has not done a really independent safety audit or safety review, uh, but even the in-house safety audit did come up with some 18 safety recommendations for kudan mm-hmm. and those also have been completely brushed aside. Mm. Uh, so this is the situation. Okay. Uh, on December 3 uh, this week, uh, people in Kurankulam again resumed protests, highlighting the complete failure of one and two, and hence uh, their concerns about three, four, five, six. And in January, from 15th to 25th, they have planned uh, a rally along the coast in South India, the coast in Tamil Nadu, the state of Tamil Nadu. Mm. Uh, So the fisher folk will march on the entire coast, which is several hundred kilometres over a period of 10 days, and they will raise their voice against this um, uh, threat.
2: Mm, That sounds really...
3: these are the updates.
2: Yeah, thanks for that. And it is depressing to hear that despite the problems with the first and second reactor, it seems quite counter-logical that there are plans for more reactors. You're listening to The Radioactive Show and my discussion with Sundaram, an anti-nuclear activist from Delhi, India. He's describing the unsafe conditions and corruption at the Kudankulam nuclear facility in the state of Tamil Nadu. Let's get back to our chat and hear about the ongoing repression and charges of sedition levelled at people in Kudankulam and the surrounding area, as well as broader Indian society.
3: Uh, The one more thing that I wanted to add that... um, the uh, charges of sedition, the charges mm. of war against the Indian state and other fictitious criminal charges, uh, but they're very, very serious, which were leveled against uh, thousands of people in Kudankulam, mm. the innocent villagers around that area, when they assembled and they raised their voice, uh, these charges were uh, leveled against them by the state government and central government, even after the protests have no, uh, become slower. These cases continue. And a lot of these people have, they they, they have to go to uh, the local court and police stations. Uh, they continuously have to go uh, for these police cases. Mm. And this is a continuing uh, stress and repression of people. Uh, this also means that a lot of young people in that area who used to work in Gulf countries, like they would go to Qatar, they will go to UAE to find jobs. Mm. Uh, they're passports have been impounded confiscated by the government in course of those protests and for last uh, four five years they have not been able to go to their work so even in this situation because government knows that there will be again protest government knows that these two reactors are not working government knows that uh, three four five six is a disaster and people will oppose that so that continued tension is brewing up on the ground, mm. and protests might erupt. The government might crack down again. So that is a continuing. So people are living through an ordeal for the last several years in this place.
2: Mm. Absolutely. That's yeah. That's really discouraging to hear. Because I remember when we visited people and the mental strain of having those charges and restrictions on movement and their life choices. So it's definitely sad to hear that that's continuing and do you think the repression has worsened under the Modi government or how has that um, changed the experience? Under
3: uh, under this uh, new government uh, what has happened is this government and the party backing it they appear to have a monopoly over nationalism Mm-hmm. So as you know, this is a Hindu fundamentalist party and they want to build a Hindu-centric India. So anything which is uh, different from their vision is immediately termed anti-national. So they have uh, started exactly where the previous government has uh, had ended and they have intensified the repression. They have intensified repression against the civil society, against all kinds of dissenters. Uh, so nuclear... Uh, is is one of the central things in their whole strategy. Uh, even before China made nuclear weapons, much before, of course, Pakistan made nuclear weapons, mm-hmm. uh, they wanted India to make nuclear weapons because it, it's not threat specific to them. It's 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 about India's international standing, global image, and uh, strength as a nation. So in their scheme of nationalism, nuclear is very central. And that uh, means that they will not tolerate any kind of dissent on nuclear. So the repression against anti-nuclear activists have intensified in recent years. Uh, One of the first things that this government did after assuming power it came up with a intelligence report uh, which listed some 30 40 individuals including myself and several uh, groups including the network with which i am associated cndp coalition mm-hmm. for nuclear disarmament and peace uh, also greenpeace india also anumukti and several P. Mane and other groups and uh the report the intelligence report said that these are people who are holding india's uh, industrial growth back and this means that because of them and this is really insane stupid This uh, the report said this is because of them that the indian uh, growth rate has come down by two to three mm-hmm. percent now this is what happens when you mm, turn cops into economists and when you see your definition of growth and development and whatnot. Uh, So, and after that report, because even they knew that uh, there is nothing specifically criminalizing uh, because these were just allegations, Mm. just slanders. So they strategically leaked this report and the media played on it. Uh, So for several days, all of us were, uh, um, uh, there was a complete slandering against all of us in the media. And even after that, that has continued. So, anti-nuclear activists, environmental activists, we are branded anti-national, we Mm. are looked as if we get foreign funding and foreign support and we are out to uh, bring down India's economic growth and we are a threat to the so-called economic national security of India. Uh, That has made things difficult for us. Mm. Uh, Although... because we know that we are not doing anything illegal and they don't have anything legal against us. They can't prove it in the court. We are not uh, doing any money laundering. We are not taking any illegal funds. Uh, But what has happened is that the support for us in the middle classes, uh, the impression of ours in the, among the middle classes uh, has become really difficult. Mm. So, for instance, earlier, if I had to organize solidarity in Delhi for the Kudankula movement, I would go to colleges, universities, campuses, I would go to other institutions, uh, <clears throat> solicit their support, uh, speak their uh, screen films, and so on. So, I would do some awareness. Mm. What has happened is all these institutions now have become difficult for us to enter Uh, so professors and these institutions are really really afraid now to interact with us Uh, same thing happened uh, in other parts of the country as well so yes uh, with the new government uh, the repression against us has intensified
1: You're hearing Crunch's discussion with Sundaram, an activist and organiser from India. He has been detailing the severe repression of any dissent to the pro-nuclear government policy there. Now, linking back to our earlier chat with Dave Sweeney, we asked Sundaram about international uranium sales deals with the Indian government.
2: And this also flies in the face of the recent Japan-India sales agreement, and also actually I'm not you may not know, but just now in Australia, on one of the last sitting days of Parliament, uh, there's just been an act passed around the India-Australia uranium deal that uh, excludes liability for any companies involved in selling um, uranium to India. And so all of these arrangements um, are being made as if India has all the safeguards in place and is acting responsibly with... um, Yeah, and so...
3: The global uh, like uh, countries like Australia, Japan, Russia, US, uh, UK, they are interested in Indian market post-Fukushima precisely because in India, the government is ready to put the democratic dissent aside, repress its people, subvert the existing safety norms and environmental norms, subsidize the whole nuclear industry through several means, including denial of nuclear liability. Mm. So... India is totally standing against the history in the post-Fukushima world today. Mm. Uh, When there are a number of examples where countries have taken made a shift away from nuclear. But uh, as you said, um, India is a country which is concluding deals with every possible country. Whosoever has something nuclear to supply, India is having a nuclear agreement with them. And that's happening without any provision for liability.
2: Um, Well, I feel like we could, you know, we could keep on talking for... Hours really, um, but maybe I'll have to make sure that we have another chat sometime sooner. Um, yeah, it's been too long. It's really great to get your perspective on all these issues, and I'm now. Thank
3: you so much. Emma. It was really good to talk to you, and I think in uh, coming months and years, we need to forge solidarities uh, and this eco-destructive, anti-people kind of industrialization, which is happening, and it's being sold as pro-people. We really need to expose it. That was Kumar Sundaram of the Coalition
2: for Nuclear Disarmament and Peace, ending on a note of the vital need for solidarity between people and affected communities in Australia and India, resisting uranium and the entire nuclear chain. You can find out more about the Coalition for Nuclear Disarmament and Peace online at all the W's dot dot org. Earlier in the show, we heard from Dave Sweeney of
1: Australian Conservation Foundation speaking about the rushed passing of the Indian Civil Nuclear Transfers Act, which clears the way for Australian companies to sell uranium to India without any legal culpability. Dave has written a great article on the Act, which you can find at independentaustralia.net. It's called Papering the Cracks, Australia's Dangerous Uranium Deal with India. This has been The Radioactive Show, brought to you by Crunch and AC, produced in the studios of 3CR Melbourne on the stolen lands of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation and broadcast nationally on the Community Radio Network. You can podcast our show from 3cr.org.au radioactive or find us on Facebook under The Radioactive Show. Sounds used in the show were sourced from the Free Sound Archive. Thanks for listening, and here's
2: to a nuclear free future. Have you heard about 3CR's national programs? Come and check on community radio stations around Australia. You're listening to Women on the Line.
1: Welcome again to Lost in Science.
2: And welcome to another edition of the Radioactive Show. You've been listening to Earth Matters on the Community Radio Network.
1: Hello and welcome to Accent of Women. Anarchist Wool this week. Listen to Beyond Zero, global warming
2: science, solutions and action. Tune in to Stick Together, Worker Stories. Grassroots Voice is broadcast weekly on the Community Radio Network.
0: will not negotiate with my of title government or anyone on, on our culture, on, on our land. You know, if people say, oh, you're going to finish up with nothing, well then so be it. But at least our hearts will tell us that we did not sell out our country and our culture and heritage for a few scungy dollars.
3: Subscribe to 3CR so that your dollars support Indigenous voices and the struggle for land justice.
0: For Aboriginal people, the greatest grief of all is seeing the country destroyed. And somewhere along the line, we have to realise that we don't actually have the right to do that. That nothing we've ever done has given us the right to do that. Now, you know where I stand on this, because I'm so simple-minded. I think we've just got to admit that this is an Aboriginal country. Just do it. Australians love their digital equipment, and that's all fine and good because it increases our quality of life, but we need to think more carefully about what we're doing when we're finished with it. E-waste is growing at three times the rate of other municipal waste.
2: 3CR Community Radio is dedicated to exploring the issues that affect our future.
1: Because I think it is something we just need to be talking about.
2: 855am. Tune in and listen up.